I started writing letters to people that I would see on the subway and I would write letters to people I would see in the coffee shop and I would start to look around myself and say like, okay, like I don't, I don't think I'm the only lonely one here. I don't think I'm the only depressed one here. It looks like a lot of people feel lonely and disconnected. And so I just started to write letters and I was very honest in those letters and very vulnerable in those letters about what I was feeling and what I was facing. She is a three times best-selling author, founder of the nonprofit More Love Letters, and an internationally known TEDx speaker. We had the honor, the privilege, the delight to speak to the beautiful Hannah Brencher today. I pray this blesses you. I believe God put a specific light in your heart for a purpose, for you to shine it into this world in a way that nobody else can, a light that is unique as the print on your finger. And our job is to take that light and go love people with it in this world. Everywhere you go, you have a ministry. You don't just have to be a preacher to have a ministry. Your light is your ministry. It's how you shine it at your job, at your family, at the dinner table with your friends, at the movies, at the park, at your apartment. Everywhere you go, you are made to shine your light. Do it, be it, love people, be kind, honor them, honor yourself. This is made to shine. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Made to Shine. I am beyond excited, as you just heard in that intro. We have such a sweet and special guest on with us today. We have Hannah Brenter on. She is such an impressive human being, but also just what I've seen from afar and now from the few minutes up close, such a light and just such a just a sweet soul, it seems like. And she's doing so much in the faith world around mental health, which I'm excited to dive into. I know everyone, a lot of your questions has been around that specifically. So excited to dive in. Uh, But as you all know, why we are here, why we have guests on Made to Shine is because we believe every single person has a ministry, not just preachers, not just pastors, but it's the way you live your life. So you college students out there, it's how you go to class. It's how you go to your marketing job or you're with your friends at the dinner table at night. And Hannah has done that so beautifully and eloquently from what I've seen through not just being a writer and a speaker, but also a mom right? And a wife and just everything she's doing through mental health. You wear so many hats and you just seem to bring this light to all that you do. So Hannah, thank you so much for being on and welcome to Made to Shine. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to dig into this conversation. It's going to be fun. Me too. And I know when we, we were talking a little bit before and a lot of why I reached out is so much of your content, something in particular was one, your mission around shining light on mental health, how that relates to faith, but also talked a little bit about like this blind hustle and like working from rest, working from unrest. And so we'll get into that. But before we do, we've got to open up the Made to Shine episode with the way I do every single one, which is what is your favorite quote and why? Oh gosh, that is just, okay. We're going there. We're going. Um, and I didn't tell her this beforehand, everyone. No, so. this was not. This was not um, prompted. 
Okay. Um, I think I would probably have to go with just like a classic Ram Das quote about how like we're all just walking each other home. Like that is the point of this lifetime. And um, I probably quoted that wrong, but that is the gist of it is that in the end, we're all just helping each other get home, walking each other home. What does home look like? I ultimately believe, you know, like that we're walking closer towards eternity and being kingdom minded. But I also think too, what the what the quote gets into is this idea that, you know, like, I think life is really hard. Obviously, if you've been a human lately, you know that. Um, And I think we can get so stuck in what is my mission or what is my calling? And that quote always brings me back to center is like, at the end of the day, we're all just walking each other home. It's this reminder to look to the left and right of you and try to make it easier for the people that are standing beside you or to shine a light or to extend back your hand to someone who may be experiencing a dark time, like at a time where maybe you're walking in more light, especially in that realm of mental health. You know, there are seasons where you may be in the thick of depression and there are other seasons where you feel like everything is pretty good around me. And that's that reminder of like somebody else is going through it. And so reaching back your hand and walking with them. I love that, especially because that's something you can do wherever you are. I think a lot of the younger generation, I think, you know, social media has a play in this for sure, but you, you feel like you can't be that or do that until you have a platform or until you get Mm. that promotion or, or get that rank or status or whatever everybody else is celebrating and being just a, a person that guides people home, a light where you are. I mean, that's so much of what we talk about here at Made to Shine, but that's something you do anywhere, wherever you are. Anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere and everywhere. And I think too, like, within an age where people care so much about platforms, it's that question of like, okay, but like, do you pay attention to the person in the elevator? Like, do you acknowledge the person living next door that might be struggling with loneliness? I think that like, if we sought out the platform less, we would start to see that the mission is actually everywhere Mm -hmm. in the everyday interactions and encounters. So true. And even I think about people our age or like, you know, 20, 22, 23, we almost put more emphasis on people we don't even know liking and commenting on our, on our reels, our photos, than the people we do know, than the friends we're sitting with at the dinner table. So it's like, not just the person in the elevator, but the person you're sitting with at dinner or your family. Like when's the last time you were intentionally trying to check in on them, be a light for them, guide them back to the light, et cetera. So I love that. And I know you founded this ministry, More Love Letters, right? And Mm -hmm. so take us back. In my research, I saw like you were 22 years old. You were going to New York with this, what you had in your mind as this dream job. And you called it this spiral into a dark time. And can you kind of talk us through what did that spiral feel like? Was it all at once? Was it gradual? Take kind of take us back to that snapshot of where Hannah was then. Yeah, so I had just graduated from college and I went to a small Catholic school. At the time, I was not Catholic nor was I Christian. I wasn't really anything. Um, and 
the thing is, though, it was a very small school. So I felt like I came from a space where there was a lot of community to all of a sudden moving to New York City, which is like millions of people, you know, and so you go from feeling like you have this identity in this place to all of a sudden being in this city where like no one knows who you are. And I had this quote unquote dream job working at the United Nations and human rights has always been something I've been super passionate about. Um, And so when that disconnect started happening, I remember just being like really confused, but at the same time, this was like 12 years ago. Like we were not talking about mental health the way that we're talking about it now we were there were not podcasts where like we were talking about depression or anxiety and so because we had never talked about it I didn't know what to do with it I didn't know how to diagnose it um so I just kind of shoved it down and I didn't open up to people about it and I found myself kind of closing in on myself really like I felt like really keeping my friends and my family at a distance and shaming myself a lot because I kept thinking to myself, like, why can't you just like get up and be grateful and go after it? And like, this is your dream. Like, come on, like be grateful. You know, Um, I didn't know at the time that like depression is a very real illness um, and that like, it's okay to need help. And so, yeah, at that time in my life, I mean, I was, I would say it was kind of both. It felt like it came on pretty quickly, that depression. And I think that came from a loss of identity or the feeling of a loss of identity. But then it was just like gradually building to the point where I felt like I didn't want to get out of bed anymore. And I didn't know how to show up anymore. And I was really grappling with what I like what is called like purpose anxiety which is like this feeling of like what is my purpose what am I called to do and even in that at the time like I had nothing I had no reference point to Jesus or any of that and so I was trying to find purpose by whatever the world and the culture was saying like this is what purpose is you climb this ladder you get to this pinnacle and then you'll be happy You mentioned the word disconnect, like you started to feel this disconnect. And it sounds like it was almost at first, you know, gradual. And then there was a compilation of the disconnect, but then also this shame attached to feeling disconnect. Talk to me through that, because I think especially as Christians, and we'll get into like your faith journey, et cetera. But especially as Christians, there is this, you know, rejoice always and and, and be mm. joyful. All, and it's almost like when you're going through a dark period, I know in my own life, when I've gone through dark periods, it's always coupled with this little voice, like, see, you don't really believe in God. Or like, if you mm. did, you wouldn't be feeling this because you're supposed to be joyful always and you're not joyful. And there's this shame around, yes, I know I'm supposed to be joyful in the Lord, but I, I feel sad and I, I don't feel yeah. good. And I feel the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there. And I think too, like joy, I would say happiness is definitely a feeling. I would say joy is probably not so much a feeling. It's a well that is within us um, that we can pull strength from. Um, But I do think like that disconnect and me at the time, not being a Christian, but like speaking from a perspective now of having like a decade of faith, you know, um, that I felt like 
or I feel like sometimes like we can't necessarily be honest with what we're feeling because of the language that we use so much within Christianity. It almost feels like sometimes like there's a dictionary and you say certain things because that's the way to talk and that's the way to act. In actuality, like we're not telling each other where we are on the map, that we are struggling or that I am going through depression or I am worried that like I might hurt myself because it's easier to say the thing that, you know, we've almost been like taught to say. And I think that especially if you like go through the Bible and you're reading the Psalms, you're like, the authors of these Psalms were honest and not afraid to be honest before God and not afraid to say like, this is where I am on the map. I'm grieving, but I'm going to fix my hope back in God. And so I don't know, I found in my own personal faith journey that like, God does not need me to sugarcoat things. He doesn't need me to say like, oh, no, like, but, but my trust is in you. And I rejoice in you. Like, I believe those things in the core of me. But like, God is like, I want your honest heart. I want to know where you are. Because if I don't know where you are, like, like, how am I supposed to meet you on the map if you're telling me that you're somewhere else, you know? And so Honestly, I think at that time in my life, you know, like not really having a language to put around things, it just was more so nothing in my life is wrong. So I shouldn't feel this way. And that's where that shame came from. It's like, okay, I've got it good. I'm here. I'm living in New York. I have the dream job. So like, what is wrong with me? And I just didn't know at the time that it's something that's happening with your brain chemistry. It's not your fault, nor is it like uh, your situation. Sometimes there is situational depression, but a lot of times like our brains are just wired differently. And there's a lot of environmental factors that are at play. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a pride problem that prevents people from having almost the humility to be honest about where they're at or the conditioning of you shouldn't say anything because it's wrong? I mean, I think pride is usually like in a lot of things. Um, Like it does seem to like come into a lot of our issues. But I also think too, like you touched on it earlier. At this time in my life, I the only social media was Facebook and I had a blog, you know? And so now we are in this world where everything happens on social media. And if you're not posting on social media, you're consuming social media for mm -hmm. hours of the day. And so it's almost become this thing where we've filtered and we've edited ourselves so much that we almost don't even know what we feel ourselves. I think that that's probably the problem of our age here. Is that like why would I, and, it, and it's a huge problem in the faith community, if we can't get alone with ourselves and figure out how we feel and learn to check in and learn to say, okay, I do feel depressed, or, you know, I feel bitter, or, you know, I feel resentment, or I feel jealousy, like that requires us to check in and not just like a five second check in, and then I'm on to the next platform, like we need to know ourselves to approach God in that honest way to actually experience transformation. But I think a lot of us say like, that feels hard, that feels uncomfortable, I would rather just scroll, I would rather just tell people a surface level story of where I'm at. And if you do it well enough, people won't ask deeper questions. It's so true. I, to 
recap that, it sounds like there's an identification problem. It's like, I almost feel mm. as if it's it's learning a different language. You know, you have to learn the language of yourself. And that takes time. Yeah. Like you think about the time it takes to learn Spanish. If you've only ever spoken English, it takes time. And like you said, it's uncomfortable. And sometimes like people just aren't willing. It's so much easier just to get on social media and numb it out and numb it out, whatever yep. you're feeling. So when you were going through this period as a 22-year-old, and this was like pre-social media for the most part, yeah. and you were going into the spiraling season, you were in New York, it sounded like you didn't know many people. How did you start to kind of learn that language within of being able to identify, hey, yeah, like it's okay that I feel this and I'm going to do something about it? Yeah, well, I think for me, I've always had the outlet of writing that has always been the thing that was there for me, you know, and like you grow up in a house where like, my mom was a believer and my dad wasn't. Um, and I look back and I think like writing was always my, like my world to escape through, you know, um, and it's always been that like, that's, since I was little, like that was my thing. And so that was how I started to cope without even realizing that I was coping was I started, this is going to sound crazy, but like I started writing letters to people that I would see on the subway and I would write letters to people I would see in the coffee shop. And I would start to look around myself and say like, okay, like I don't, I don't think I'm the only lonely one here. I don't think I'm the only depressed one here. It looks like a lot of people feel lonely and disconnected and so I just started to write letters and I was very honest in those letters and very vulnerable in those letters about what I was feeling and what I was facing. And I didn't sign the letters because I didn't want anyone to find me, you know, and I just started to leave them around New York City, which ended up becoming like the foundation for the organization that I run today. But I would say probably five or six months into living in New York City and realizing this is not getting better and I don't know what to do and I don't want to get out of bed um, was when I finally sought out a therapist and that therapist diagnosed me with depression. And I felt like once I had that diagnosis, I was able to start to move forward because now I knew. So now healing could begin. And so we started to work through that depression and work to change my brain and all of those things. But um, yeah, I would say those letters were really pivotal in me, like looking outside of myself. I want to talk about more love letters because yeah. it is so powerful. And it sounds like it did take such a huge role in your healing journey. I'm curious. So, you know, you're in New York, you're, you're going through all the stuff and you just start writing these letters. What was your expectation? Did you have one? Was it, what was your hope? I mean, from that initial laying, I mean, you didn't even know you were laying the foundation for an organization, but what were you initially hoping to get from that? I don't think I had a concrete hope. I think the part of me that had, um, always been a little bit like lost in her own worlds and always been like a romantic at heart thought this was a really romantic thing to do was to leave letters around New York City. And it helped me. I mean, it helped me get out of my own head and think about somebody else. And so I kept doing it, you know, and it became this thing of like, okay, 
I'm going to go to work, but then like after work, I'll stop at my favorite bookstore and I'll leave a letter there or I'll leave a letter in one of the suits of the UN. And it became like this little like benchmarker within the day. And I didn't think there was anything to it. I just thought it was kind of like an outlet for me. But um, like I said, at the time I had a blog and I decided to write about it. I wrote a post about how I was writing these letters and leaving them around New York City. And I specifically remember, and this is what's crazy about it, is that like, I remember referencing a teacher of mine, a professor of mine in college. And she told us a story about how her and her husband had fallen in love through letter writing. And so like, it would, it cost so much money to like make a long distance phone call back then. And so like, they would write letters, he wrote her a letter every single day of that summer, and they fell in love. Um, And I remember her sharing that story with us. But specifically, I remember her like looking at all of us and being like, your generation is never going to have this, you're not going to have this. And it felt like a gut punch, because it wasn't like I wanted to bring back letter writing, like, But I understood what she meant about how like, our generation, like we're distracted, like we're not fully here with one another. Like even when we're sitting at the table, we're also checking into a bunch of other places and we're missing each other. And I felt that back in 2010, like now in 2023, I'm like, it is a whole different experience. Um, And so I had blogged about that. And that's what I mean by like that disconnect of like, okay, we can build this online presence. But at the same time, like we're humans who need human connection. Um, And I basically said, hey, if you need a letter for whatever reason, like, just email me, send me your address, and I will write to you. Um, I did not expect that that post was going to go semi viral. um, And I would spend the next nine months writing around 400 letters to strangers all over the world. Um, And meeting God through that. (laughs) And that, I think, is such a testament to how much people are starving for that human Mm -hmm. connection. And, you know, you mentioned the word purpose anxiety not too long ago. I'm sure in the process of this, you were feeling purposeful, you know, doing something that you just you cho- you weren't expecting anything from it. I think that's where people, they put so much weight on purpose anxiety. It had like their purpose has to be this big flashy thing that's postable. And, but like this yeah. started as you literally doing something offline, like something that did yeah. not require technology. And I'm sure in the process, everyone talks about handwritten letters, like the receiver, it touching them so much, but I'm sure in the process of the writer of those handwritten letters, it held you accountable to not being distracted. Like your teacher was talking about, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's so, but like, I still, I journal every morning on, I have so many journals and it it holds me accountable to, okay, we're offline. We're not typing. We're not on a screen. Like, how are you checking in? And I think that's so important. And you mentioned like meeting God through that. So I want to talk about your faith story a little bit because you said you didn't know God for the most part prior to going to New York, starting this venture. So, and I know one, I was listening to an interview you did. You said basically in this experience, the first half of your depression, you were like, where is God? Second half, God is for me. And you said mm. that. And so kind of talk us through like your journey with Jesus and what you meant, you know, in the midst of your depression, being able to hold on to hope in him. 
Yeah, I mean, I had always had questions about God. But again, I would say like how I mentioned earlier, I felt almost like, okay, this is something that I guess other people get and understand that I just don't get and understand. That's kind of how I felt. I felt like it was almost like a club that I didn't belong to. And as I've like looked back over the years, I realized, you know, like I went to church with all of these families that were like these seemingly perfect little families, like when I was a child. And like, I wondered, like, why is my mom here alone? Why is my dad not coming with us? You know, like, and why does my family not look like these families? And so like, when we got to be of a certain age, my mom basically like allowed us to like make a choice. And at that time, I wanted nothing to do with God. I really just didn't. I don't know what it was, but I felt like I didn't belong. And so if I didn't belong, then I could be the first one to like, leave, you know, and then I wouldn't get hurt. Um, But getting older and like going through some stuff in high school that like left me really feeling like, man, like I want to get out of this place. I want to leave this town. I don't want to stay here. I don't, I want to like create a future for myself. I want to be successful. Um, And I always felt like I was made for something more, but I didn't know what that was. And so if I had any prayer, it was like, God, like, please make it so that my life is not an accident. Like, I don't want it to be an accident. And I feel like I was made to do something big, but I don't know what that thing is, you know? Um, And so I think that like, I had, I knew God was there. I just didn't know if he was for me. I didn't know if he liked me. I didn't know if he wanted anything to do with me. Um, And then in New York City, Um, I remember specifically praying to God, like, you know, like, I'm not going to look for you in a church and I'm not going to look for you in the Bible. Like, I'm not looking for you in these things. I'd been hurt by those things in the past. And so I made a very real prayer that just said, like, if if you're going to be real, like, show up in your people, you know, and when my inbox started filling with all of these people from all over the world, some of the saddest stories that I had ever read, I felt God in that moment, like he was pulling back the veil being like, you're not alone in this. Like so many people are struggling. So many people are lonely. And like, I have a purpose for you in this, you know, and like, along that journey ended up going to church with a friend and went several times and finally got to that point of like, just like, I surrender. I am done trying to hold it together. Like I am. And I felt like after that, after I said yes to Jesus, that was like, really, this whole story started expediting and the start of the organization came to be and all of these things. But I say all of that too, though, because I think sometimes when we think about the mission of God, we want it to be flashy, or we want it to be documentable, or like we want it to fit within our timeline. And What's so funny about more love letters is that I never wanted to start it. Like still to this day, I look at it as like, this is obedience on my part. This was something that God gave me to steward, but it was not something I wanted to create, Um, which Mm. is like shocking to people. Like I love letters and I've loved that my mom has written me letters my whole life and I write them to other people. But like, I didn't want to be the girl known for like the stamps and the stationery and the letter writing. And yet at the same time, I feel like, you know, God has reminded me again and again, like, 
simple obedience changes everything. Like that is where it's at. And so every single day I show up to this organization and I have for the last 13 years um, because God reminds me over and over again, it's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. The story started with you, but like now the story belongs to other people and you just have to steward it well. What in your obedience the past 13 years have you learned about God or where has the veil continued to be kind of Mm. taken off that you don't think you would have experienced had you not been obedient? Well, I think that like, you know, I think in anything that you create, things ebb and flow in seasons. So I think that there were definitely and there have been seasons where I feel like very in love with the organization. And at the end, I remember the prayer that I prayed when I put more love letters out into the world. I just prayed, God, like, help me to fall in love with this thing. Like, help me to want to do this, you know? And I do think he answered that prayer and answered it in various seasons. But um, I would say there were many years where I did not want to be running the organization, where my heart was not in it, where I was very much like disconnected from the mission. And yet I was not getting the release that I wanted. I wasn't getting the okay, like you can quit, it can be done now, you know. Um, And this is all very recent, actually, this was September of last year that this story came into motion that I had conversations with some close friends, one of them being my therapist, my therapist saying like, you know, like, God made it abundantly clear that this was the organization that you were called to run. He can make it just as abundantly clear if your time is up, you know, your time's not up. Um, And I had to really go through a humbling and a heart check. I had to let my pride die and I had to step back and rebuild and relaunch the organization. And that is something that I did in June of this past year, like revamped the website entirely all of our systems, the ways that we do things. And every single day, I just prayed God for that fresh vision. And I have like right here in my office, like I'm staring at a print right here that just says simple obedience changes everything. Because I think that like that is probably the core of my life and the core of like most of our lives is that like, it's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to feel flashy. It's not always going to be something that you can bottle up or document or share along the way. And like, we got that confused over time, because we thought we could do that with everything. And then we wondered why we stopped feeling God in the process, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for me, it's this realization of like, life is made up of a bunch of little things that like, the world will never see. And that is where you find the true heartbeat. That is like where you come back to center with God. And so for me, it just was, I, I realize I'm like rambling here. It's um, just so good. Keep going. <laughs> but I, I think that like obedience as core, a lot of times looks like you're like doing something you don't actually want to be doing, but that trusting that God is going to change your heart in the process. And that is what he did. I, my heart felt dead to more love letters for a very long time and God revived it. But I look back now over the last year and I say, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I can't claim to take ownership over that thing. But like God did that in me. And so it goes back to that walking. 
letters for a very long time and God revived it. But I look back now over the last year and I say, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I can't claim to take ownership over that thing. But like God did that in me. And so it goes back to that walking every single day. Am I hearing the voice of God? What is God asking of me in this day? It sounds like you just have this amazing relationship with discernment, right? Like mm. you're very, you talk about clarity of when to stay. Cause I think there's, there's power, you know, staying power, knowing when to stay also having the faith to walk away from something when you know, God's calling you away from something. Yeah. I feel like right now we live in such a day and age, one, that people walk away from things too quickly. It's like they yeah. start building something and it doesn't go viral the next day. And they're like, yeah. not for me. I even think I was listening to a, a statistic about podcasts. Like almost 50% of podcasts don't make it past one episode because people don't get the advertisers. They go oh, crazy oh on Apple. 50% of podcasts don't wow. make it past one episode. And you're like, gosh. So what would you say for, you know, younger people, which we are working with shorter attention spans and maybe like yeah. there's, there's difficulty with, you know, knowing when to stay and knowing when to leave around being able to have that clarity. Like what does discernment look like for you with more love letters, like knowing you were supposed to stay? What did that look like practically? Yeah. I mean, that was a... I remember when it first started and I told God, I will give you five years. <laughs> like here we are 13 years later. That didn't work out. Um, I think too, though, like, cause I totally, totally resonate with what all that you're saying is that like, we have very little patience. Um, I wonder if like in today's day and age, if I would have continued with more love letters in the way that I have now, you know, um, but I think that we're getting it wrong. Like, I think that if you're in your walk or you're creating things and you're not feeling the success that you want to feel, maybe you're seeking the wrong thing, you know, because like you could go viral. It's only going to make your problems bigger. It's not actually going to help anything, you know, like I went viral in the first year of more love letters being, um, an organization. I did an audition for TED.com and uh, it went on TED Talks and my life flipped upside down. And I learned very quickly that we can be more in love with the things of God than God himself. And it led me into a very dark place. And so I think we're, we're like searching out the wrong metrics, if I'm being honest. Like the amount of conversations that I've had with young people where it's talked about followers and ratios and I didn't even know ratios were a thing I'm like we I have, need to I wait. have no idea what that is <laughs> like apparently it's like the amount of people you follow to the amount of people that follow you and I'm like oh my lord okay. we need to have some different metrics here because yeah. like if you actually want to see success, it's in the daily discipline. It's the showing up when you don't want to show up. It's the producing the podcast when that episode you thought was going to do amazing doesn't do what you thought it was going to do. It is having a goal and a vision that is bigger than you going viral or you having X amount of followers. It has to be. That is never, ever, ever going to fill you. And so... For me, that discernment is paired with a partnership with God. It is getting with God in the secret places and saying, God, 
what is next? What is next for the next year? What is next for this day? And he has always answered, if I am willing to quiet the noise and listen. But a lot of times what God is asking of me is the exact opposite of what I'm expecting of myself. And so I would say, let's produce something. Let's create something. Let's launch something. And usually God in the stillness is like, do a puzzle with your daughter today. Be really present during bedtime. Go out and do something for your husband. Pay attention to your inbox today and the people that come through your email today. It is always so much smaller and being obedient in those small things than to try to do something that is ultimately out of my control. Like you can't, like if you're going to keep trying to force virality, it's not going to happen, you know, like, or the algorithm is going to change and you're going to be pushed further into feelings of defeat and shame and feeling like you don't add up. But if you go where the source of peace is and you get your instructions from him, like you're going to feel full. Yeah. I think that goes so beautifully or not I mean, beautifully for lack of a better word, with um, this theme of hustle culture, grind culture, Mm, hustle, like we're hustling and we're hustling. And I think that we hustle so much that we're blurred out from the voice of God telling us to do the small things. It's like, we think we have to take these big leaps constantly. And at the core of that, you know, because I myself, I'm someone, I'm definitely wired. Like I like to go, I like yeah. to move I like, <laughs> I and, yeah. uh, and I think, you know, and I think, uh, a lot of people on that I talk to on this podcast are, and it, it's God uses it because you do amazing things, but it's like, do you also have the faith to not be wired and to sit and to be still? Mm-hmm. And I think about, you know, when I'm in that season of what I like to call blind hustle, which is not a good season. It's like you're hustling, but what for it's yeah. rooted in fear. It's like, I'm fearful of being forgotten about. I'm fearful Mm, of not being significant, not being good enough. And you once said in um, one of your books, you said, even though love covers all things, fear is what keeps us silent and keeps words unsaid. Fear keeps us standing in one place. Eventually Mm. when it wins, it means we never got the courage to say what we needed to say. And when I read that, it made me think about hustle and how Hustle can be rooted in fear, but there also can be a hustle rooted in love and the goodness that comes from working hard from something Mm. based in love. So talk me through like in your life, maybe seasons where you've worked and worked and worked from a place of unrest or, you know, in the distinction between that and when you're working and producing, but from a place of love, from a place of, of Mm. stillness, so to speak, what's the difference there? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like it has evolved over time. So I would say now is probably less of, I'm more mindful of how I could fall into the trenches of that. And so it's quicker to come out of it, you know, but like, especially in like my later 20s, I think like, I really like would hustle and it, it was rooted in a lot of fear. It was in the fear of being irrelevant or the fear of not being seen or the fear that somebody was going to surpass me. And I think now as I've gotten into my 30s, it's kind of 
it's changing the mindset a little bit, you know, and it's changing my beliefs about God in that. Like, what does that say about the God I believe in if I have to be in this continual rat race where somebody is always ahead of me or somebody is always behind me? Because that's the thing. If we pull out measuring sticks, we're never going to thrive because you measuring yourself against other people is either going to mean that you are always in the bottom pile or that you view yourself to be superior to other people. And that's not a good feeling. That is not something that we want to measure, you know? And so I think it's more so like, and that's a constant putting your gaze back on God and saying, okay, what am I here for? What am I called to do in this moment? And in this season that I'm in right now, you know, I'm called to steward more love letters. Well, I'm called to, Like I look at social media, I could care less about growing on the platforms. I could care less about the strategies for the platforms. I was called to social media to encourage. And so I show up every day and that is what I seek to do. And I mean, I just came out of a book writing deadline and that was eight months of me wanting to set the pace and God saying, no, I'm setting the pace. I'm setting the pace. And continually leading me back to the story um, where Elijah, the prophet who has been known to struggle with depression, like um, has to go on this journey. So he has to go on this journey to get to the mountain that Moses was at. And that is where God passes by through the whisper. Um, But if you go and you look at that story, he goes on a 40 day and 40 night journey. But when you actually calculate the distance of how long that journey should have taken, It should have taken 12 days. He could have gotten there in 12 days. And yet it was a 40 day journey. Now we know 40 is obviously a very spiritual number. So we can imagine a lot was happening on that journey. But that I feel like has been that has set the tone for the book that I just finished writing. I wanted to do it in 12 days. And God said, give me 40. Because in that, you will be transformed and you will be sanctified and you will walk out of it a different person, you know? And so like, I don't have all the answers for it. But I do know that like, the more I listen to the voice that sounds like love, that sounds like peace, that sounds like the voice that tells me you will not miss what I have for you. Like the more I can operate from a place of realizing all of this pressure that was in my ears for so long was self inflicted. God didn't place that on me. Like, Yes, you are going to have seasons of hustle, but you can still do that from a place of grace and a place of rest. And there's a variety of ways in which you can do that. But if you burn out and you lose yourself in the process, like what does it even matter? You know? Yeah. And I just, I love that. It just makes me um, tickled because I, it just, you know, reminds me of how sweet our God is because he cares so much more about the internal transformation rather than the the product that we can, you know, give to the world. I mean, he, of course, he uses that and cares about that to encourage others, but he cares about our hearts. And it yeah. almost, it makes me think like, I always go back to in seasons where I put pressure on myself for a book or a podcast episode or what have you. You know, I, it was in John's gospel when Jesus appeared before he did one miracle. And God was like, this is my son with who I'm well pleased. And mm. that was before Jesus did anything, anything necessarily that was recorded. And that always stuck a chord in my heart because it's like, you know, God 
God wants my heart. He wants me. He loves Annie with all of her craziness and, you know, wackoness. Yeah. And but he loves her and he loves her enough to to take the scenic route for all the stuff that mm. he wants to do in my life. And think about how much more you gain taking the scenic route than the quick highway route to wherever you, you know, God wants to take you. And and so I love that. And um and I know we're we're coming up on time here. The I guess one of the last questions I selfishly want to ask you, because you are someone that has a platform and you've written books and you, you have an amazing TED talk. And, you know, I think one of the pressures that you were alluding to that is self-inflicted is this pressure of wanting to do well for other people and like caring mm. about what other people think. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. My question for you is, is it a bad thing to want to do well for other people? Is it a bad thing to care about what people think of your creation or what you're doing? I think there's a fine line that you have to walk. And I don't know that any of us actually do it perfectly. You know, um, I think it's something that I've had to go back and forth with for a long time because it does say very clearly in the Bible like you can't please God and man at the same time and so you have to ask yourself the question of like who am I trying to please I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to do well for people um you know I think about like my book writing and how every single one of the books that I've written like I've written with my grandmother at the core of of my heart, like knowing that she said years ago, you're going to write books. She told me that when I was six years old and I always held on to that. And so I don't think it's wrong at the end of the day to want to do well for her, to want to make her proud, you know? But at the same time, I think that especially in this age of social media where like there's so many people and the opinions of so many people in our ears, it's very easy to start to create in a way that like, Oh, well, that did well. So I'll do more of that. Oh, they liked that. Mm -hmm. So I'll do more of that. And you don't even realize that you're editing yourself in a way that it's for other people and it's not for you. Um, and so I think what we have to be really careful of is who is the audience that I care about? You can be performing for all the wrong audiences and not even know it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with like wanting to do well, but I think at the end of the day, like you stick closer to God than anyone else. Cause it's so easy to lose him in the folds of it. And it's so easy in a world where you can go viral and you can have followers and you can have all these successes, you know? And like, I took like not a break from social media, but I like pulled back for like the end of this book deadline. And I was feeling a lot of anxiety about coming back to it because um, social media brings a lot of anxiety. But I also knew that like you called me here, like you called me to this place. And so I'm going to have to step in whether I feel anxious or not. I know there are other people that have chosen to leave social media and I hope they find so much fullness in that. But like God hasn't called me away from it yet. Um, and so I remember, though, in that first like post coming back, I just like, I prayed as I pray about everything that I put out there. Um, and if I don't pray, that's usually a red flag that I'm doing it from a space of fear, or I'm doing it from a space of lack. But like, I just prayed a simple prayer. And it's the prayer that I pray over most things that I put out there. It's like, God, let these words find the person that needs these words. But like, 
the algorithm is so tricky and weird. And so I post it and immediately feel like, oh gosh, like no one is seeing this. Oh gosh, like I've been gone for too long. All this stupid stuff that I don't actually care about. And I felt in that moment, you know, because you get that one comment from the person that says I needed this. And I felt God say like, that's what you prayed for. Like I answered the prayer, you know? So it's like, it's not about 200 comments. It's not about like however many followers you can garner or reach from that. It's like, and I think that that's where we can get down on like um, a partnership level with God, which can be really beautiful is that you're allowed to pray those specific prayers about those specific things, whether that be the prayer of like, God, like allow these words to reach somebody who really needs them. Or like, God, like I, like, I pray something specific over every book that I've written, you know, and like with Come Matter Here, I prayed specifically that it would be a book that people would underline and they would highlight. And that was like my little sign with God. And it's so cool because we get emails like nearly every day from people that are like, I am not an underliner or a highlighter. And I highlighted this whole entire book. And to me, that's a God wing. And so I think as much as you may have a front facing platform, find ways that you can make sure God stays at the forefront of it and that he's in all of those little decisions that you make because he wants to be there. Oh my gosh. I'm just tickled. You just said God wink because that's what I call them. I call them. I have a whole notes on my phone. It's like, I have a thing called God winks. And whenever I make a decision or want to create something, I like, I ask for confirmation and I jot mm. down all my God winks. And I love that. And love I love that. I think you too, Hannah, you're so special because you're such a great representation of how you can not just be partner, but be led by God on a platform. I think a lot of Christians, yeah. it's like, they think social media and following Jesus are opposites. It's like they're, they're opposite of each other. And it's like, no, God is the God of social media. Like he does things through social media, great, amazing things. They're not enemies of each other. And we need more people like you that are on that platform, like being guided by God on it to be a light on it because there's a lot of darkness on it and we're called to be a light in the darkness. And so just grateful for you, grateful for what you've created. And I, um, I'm, grateful for your time today, but also just your willingness to be vulnerable, to be open, to be of value for all the people tuning in. Last question to round us out is, you probably heard the question before, like what advice would you give your 10-year-old self? My question for you, Hannah, is what advice would 10-year-old Hannah give current day? Oh, this is such a good question. I like was just writing about this actually um because i something that i'm like really passionate about is unplugging like that has been a theme of my life over the last few years has just been like turning off the phone and like being in your life and being present in your life not needing to document but like savoring stuff for yourself because there was a time where we used to do that like where we were like this is good enough for me to be here experiencing that moment um And what's been interesting is like in the last year of doing it, um, I've started to get back to this place of like, almost like remembering that 10 year old version of me, because that 10 year old version of me, like, wrote novels and like loved being off in her own little world and like carried a like tape recorder, like 
around the backyard at all hours. And I would just like talk into the tape recorder and then come back and like transcribe all of my stories. Like that was like my social life. So that, that probably explains a lot of things. Um, But (laughs) I think that like, what's been interesting is that the more that I've unplugged, the more I have gotten back that part of me that I almost didn't even realize was gone or that it was missing. And I can tell you exactly when it started to leave and it started to fade. It was like right after I graduated from college, I, you know, social media started ramping up and you learn very quickly. Oh, like I can do this and people will like it. I can do this and people will engage. Oh, I should say yes to this opportunity because everybody would love if I said yes to that opportunity. And little by little, I got away from the girl who existed before the noise got in. And 10-year-old me would ask, like, are we writing novels? Like, are we doing creative things? Are we just doing it for the love of the arts? Um, And so I think that, yeah, like, I think that that's the place that I'm getting back to is, like, getting back to, like, the passion and the creativity that existed then. And it wasn't it wasn't hinged to, will people like this? Will people buy this? Will people want to make this a bestseller? It was like, do I like this? Is this fun? Does this fill me up? And so getting back to that place of like, it's not about the audience. It's about creating something good and meaningful. Um, And so I think, yeah, that's probably what I would say. Wow. What a great compass for that next step. And uh, it reminds me of a quote that I love, which is like, so much about becoming is simply unbecoming everything we never were. Wow. Yeah. I, I feel like it's it's funny, just a, a theme in my life in conversations recently that that has come up, which is just this reminder of like, unbecoming all unbecoming, that you never yeah. were and reconnecting with everything mm. you initially were, which is, you know, who God made you why did you to be exactly mm-hmm. and realizing that that person was never wrong or bad but a mm-hmm. lot of times that person gets hidden away because mm-hmm. oh well it's easier to be this or of course I want to be liked or seen and then you end up in a place that like isn't a bad place like I, I love all that has happened to me over the last decade it's been really beautiful and I'm really thankful to God but like I feel like I'm now getting back to a place of like, who was I before the noise got in? Like, I want more of her because she was so sure of what she was creating and she was confident in the craft. And um, yeah, so that. Yeah. And you think about like, we were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of the giver, not the image of the gifts. And so if we spend Mm -hmm. so much of our life just worshiping the gifts God's given us, then we are going to feel incomplete because we weren't yeah. made in the image of them, of the books, of the speaking, of the talk. Like we weren't made in the image of that. We were made in the image of the giver. And yeah. so, um, but, you know, again, you so beautifully just shine on the platform in a place where there is a lot of darkness. And so grateful Thank for you. you, grateful for your ministry and grateful for your obedience because it is not easy to be obedient to what God's called yeah. you to. But I mean, whether it's in the stillness or out loud on talks and the books and all you're doing, like, Thank you for your obedience. It's, it's touching a lot of hearts and uh, so grateful you're on Made to Shine today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been such a great conversation. Yeah. 
Hey friend, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me, hang out with my guests and listen all the way through. Hey, listen, before you log off, I have an ask for you. I'm not very good at asking people for things. So really putting my foot forward here and asking that if this podcast has in any way, shape or form helped you, helped your friends, helped your family, helped your spirit, helped your soul, helped your mind, helped your body, helped your heart. Would you please, for your friend Annie, leave a review, leave a comment, put some stars out there, be honest, of course, but it would really help me out if you would like and review this podcast, especially if it's made any sort of impact in your life so that it can then go forth and help whoever else God needs to hear this message. I'm sending you love. I'm cheering for you, rooting for you. Let's go have an awesome day. 